0: The voice that spoke in the dawn of that first Easter morning uttered a question that resounds down through the ages as one of the greatest queries that ever may be asked to anyone. And the question is this, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? It is a particularly great question, I think, because it reminds us that the most important issues of life are not really resolved or answered around the question of what or where or why. Ultimately, our lives are about a who. That's not to say that these other dimensions of life are not significant. They surely are. We naturally care quite a lot about what we do, and where we live, and why we're even here. But these concerns pale in comparison to the question, with whom will you share life? From whom will you derive the resources necessary for life? From the school playground, to the marketplace, from quantum physics, to the halls of Congress, we are constantly reminded That life is ultimately, for good or for ill, about relationships. It's about the who. And so, not surprisingly, many of us go on a search. We begin this hunt early on in life, even before our eyes are fully opened. In that hospital room, we're looking for someone who loves us, someone who cares enough to express love. And the only way that we know how to recognize it at that point, and that is by providing us with simple, basic human nurture, touch, milk. Over time, we learn to look for higher forms of love as well, for somebody who will accept us even when we're very dirty. For someone who will be there when we come home. For someone who will pick us up when we fall down. Who will listen to our heart and our hopes. And who will share theirs with us as well. Do we ever stop looking for a lover like this? In that broad and best sense of that word. Do we ever stop looking for the love of our life? From our earliest days, we also look for someone from whom we can learn, don't we? This is why children imitate their parents, again, for good or for ill. They're studying their parents. They're trying to learn from them. It's why teens look to upperclassmen and to coaches. It's why young adults attach themselves to celebrated figures or the people who seem to be a little further along the path of success in life. In the middle of our lives, we start looking to the figures that society holds up, for us, we may look to a golf pro or to Rachel Ray or to Martha or to God forbid, the Donald. Maybe to Oprah or to some much less known mentor who can show us how to live the effective life, the significant life, the successful life. Even as older adults, we're still on the learn. We're still on the grow, most of us, even as as older ones, though often now we're looking back, ironically, to the lives of children for lessons to remember what it is to be dependent and to play, to take joy in the simple things, to value people, to laugh and to marvel at the gift that is life. We are always at every age looking for a teacher. I think of the story of the hillbilly family who wanted to learn about life in the big city. And so checking into a ritzy hotel, they stood there in amazement before this uh, very shiny, glitzy uh, bank of of doors having never seen an elevator before. And just then, an old lady hobbles up. She presses the button and then she walks inside and the doors of the elevator slide closed. And a few moments later, the hillbilly family hears this sweet sounding bing. And the doors open and out walks this absolutely fabulous, sexy young woman in spike heels. And the hillbilly dad is just transformed. And he starts slapping the arm of his son. He says, Jethro, go get your mother. (laughs) Sooner or later, we find out, however, that transformations like this are not that simple. Especially those changes that we know we need deep beneath the skin. And so in a very real way, we start looking for someone who has power to help us or to help the people we think need this to really change. Maybe Dr. Phil can help us with our love life, we may think, or Tony Robbins or one of the great business experts will jumpstart my career. Perhaps the next political candidate will bring the changes that are really needed in government. Maybe that diet guru will make a difference or that financial advisor will straighten things out. We're always on the hunt for a life changer. The point I'm trying to make is that whether you're younger or you're older, whether you're richer or poor, black or white, whether you're religious or not religious at all, all of us are looking in life and we go looking in life for four kinds of people. For four specific people, we look for a lover. We look for a teacher. We look for a life changer. And for a fourth kind. We also look for someone to give us assurance that this precious life will go on. How many of you were on spring break last week or the week before? Raise your hand. I was. I managed to make a quick trip down to Florida, and I will tell you, I got to that place where the huge clog of people were, and I saw all of those Homeland Security people at work, and there was a moment of frustration, but mostly one of thankfulness because I was glad to see them there. I was glad to see them do their job. Why? Because I want my life to go on. I want the life of my kids to go on. I've been in dozens and dozens of hospital rooms through the years. Many people are excited to see me, but they are very glad to see that physician when he walks through the door. The person they believe has the knowledge base, the capacity to help their life go on. Last night, I woken up about 3.30 in the morning by one of our children who had crawled into our bed and was feeling very sick. And the child woke up in the middle of the night, sat bolt upright, and pointed out a stretched arm. And with a look of absolute terror on his face. And tears streaming down, uh, down his cheeks. He, he, sa- he said, no, no. And I came at least as near as I can figure it out. To understand that he was having a nightmare. And that the nightmare was that he had put some coins on the railroad tracks. And the train had come by. And the coins had derailed the train. And people had died. And he could do nothing about it. And I threw my arms around him in that bed. And I said, son, it's okay. That was just a dream. It was just a dream. It's okay. All of us, I think. All of us hunger at some deep level to know. That the consequences of our sin and our mortality do not have the last word. That there's a greater, a greater reality beyond the nightmare that life sometimes becomes. We want to feel those arms wrapping around us, letting us know it's going to be okay. All of us long for a deliverer. For our deliverer. This world is constantly trying to get us To focus on the wrong pursuits. It's trying to get us to focus our attention on the what and the where and the why of things. Not that these things are unimportant. They're just not ultimate. Because in the clearest moments of our lives. In those moments of profound need. In that day of great accomplishment. At that moment when we're standing by the graveside. Where we're putting to rest some loved one. We know the truth, don't we? We know that life is not so much about the what, the where, and the why. It's all about the who. It's about the who. It certainly was for the woman that we meet in the Easter story in John's Gospel. Mary Magdalene had been on the hunt all of her life. She had been looking for somebody who truly loved her. I mean, not just come and go, but real love. Not because she was pretty, not because she knew how to perform in bed, not because she, she was hoping to find somebody who didn't know her secrets, but somebody who would know her for all that she was, all that she had not done, all that she had done, and love her nonetheless. She was looking for someone who believed in her potential as a human being even more than they concerned themselves with her past. She was looking for somebody who was a lover of her soul and that who had turned out to be him. Jesus had loved Mary. He had loved her in the largest and the best sense of that word. He didn't use her. He didn't abuse her as other men had. He neither condemned her for her sins nor condoned the life she was living in. Jesus introduced Mary to the love of a God who is neither a sourpuss judge on the one side. Nor a stupidly indulgent grandfather on the other side but a heart of real love, a God who loves people too much not to accept them as they are and too much to let them stay that way. God loves you that way, loves me that way. Jesus had also been an amazing teacher to Mary. He taught her that the most influential power in this world isn't control. It's servanthood. He taught her that passions like greed, anger, and lust don't get you what you want. They just make you thirstier for it. He taught her that everything that we have in this life is actually a sacred trust, a set of talents given to us by the master to be used. In alignment with the purposes of God. And that's where the joy is found in using these things in this way. Jesus taught her that. Jesus taught Mary that a proud, resentful heart might look tough. But it was nowhere near as strong. As a humble, forgiving heart. Mary had learned so much from Jesus. And she valued so much the teaching ministry of Jesus, she couldn't get enough of his message and his modeling. She followed him everywhere. In fact, that is why even when they pinned him to a cross, she would not leave him behind. She was one of the few that stayed behind right there on Calvary, unwilling to let go of this opportunity to learn from him. And Jesus, even in his hours of dying, taught more about the business of living than all of the philosophers and the other teachers she'd ever known. If people could learn the lessons that Jesus taught, not just up here, but to live those lessons, the world would change for the better. Mary must have understood. I think of the story of the longshoreman who became a follower of Jesus. He was mocked by his buddies for the way that he had stopped carousing and swearing. That Jesus stuff is all a joke, Tommy, they said to him. It's all ancient history. It's make-believe. I mean, come on, Tommy, you don't believe that a man could actually change water into wine. Tommy said, I don't know, I wasn't there. But I will tell you that in my house, he changed beer into furniture and a bad marriage into a good one. And that's, that's enough for me for now. Mary Magdalene could tell you scores of stories like this. She was there when Zacchaeus turned from a life of greed to a life of generosity. She was there when the woman at the well turned from a life of deceit to a life of truth and hope. She was there so many times when the life-changing power of God was shown through the life of Jesus. She'd seen how every one of the inner circle had been changed, except maybe for Judas. Not changed enough. Not before despair took him over. Oh, sure, Peter had denied the Lord. James and John had run away at a moment of of pressure when the cops came. But Mary could stand here today and tell you, friends, you should have known these guys before Jesus met them. You'd be amazed at how powerfully he changed them. Oh, the life-changing power of those discovered by those who walk with Jesus. Jesus. The only thing Mary did not yet know was what she was about to discover in that graveyard on Easter morning. Mary had come to the garden, you understand, before dawn for one purpose. To honor the memory of Jesus. To grieve and honor the memory of Jesus. To get as close to that remembrance as she could. And when she saw that the tomb was empty, all she could conclude was somebody's stolen the body. Somebody's taken away the last shred of remembrance I had. The last remnant of him gone forever was too much for her. It sent her into paroxysms, racking sobs of uncontrollable, inconsolable grief, the Bible suggests. And turning away from the entrance, she couldn't even bear to see the empty place any longer. She saw in the shadows the figure of a man that she just naturally took to be the graveyard gardener until he spoke. Until the voice asked, who is it you are looking for? And the passionate intensity with which Mary answers this question makes it clear that she feels she has lost forever the great love, the great teacher, the great life-changing power of her existence. And yet she still hopes there might be some way to get something of it back. And then the voice calls her by name. Mary, he says, Mary. He speaks it with all the feeling of somebody who truly loves your soul. Who truly longs to be your teacher. Who truly aches to be the life-changing power of your existence So we can alter it for the good. Mary, he says, insert your name there. And in that state of utter shock and wonder that always accompanies an encounter with the transcendent presence of God, Magdalene suddenly knew that she was standing in the presence of Jesus. And this could mean one thing alone. It turns out, He was not just a very loving man. He was not just a very brilliant teacher. He was not just a very influential social change maker. The fact that he was standing there in the flesh that morning after the crucifixion and the burial could only mean one thing. He was God. He was God in the flesh. He was who he had said he was all along. Jesus was the one whom the Old Testament calls the great deliverer, the great deliverer. Beloved, what I'm trying to suggest this morning is that at Easter time, Jesus takes off those relativizing wrappings with which our culture And our tradition have traditionally clothed him. Many today will recognize Jesus as a loving man, a brilliant teacher, an important change maker. But the Jesus that meets Mary in that garden today shows himself someone much, much more. Taking off the robes of humanity, he shows the divinity of God. He shows us that he is the great life at the root of all life. He shows us that he is the rising grace that sin cannot overcome, that evil cannot conquer, that death cannot contain. Jesus demonstrates that his enemies can't destroy him. The thoughtless crowd cannot bury him. And even his fickle followers cannot elude him for very long. Jesus comes to us as he came to Mary. He comes to us this Easter very much as he came to Mary, revealing himself as that perfect love, that absolute truth, that life-changing power, that sin and death-defying God of deliverance that each of us and this whole world wrapped up in the nightmare issues of our time needs now more than ever before. And so here is what I want to ask you as we conclude this morning. What if... What if all of those longings that you and I have had since we were children for a love that would never ever leave us, that would be there in the middle of the night when we needed him, what if that was simply preparing us to enter into the arms of a perfect love? What if it turned out that there were actually absolute truths that governed human relationships and the development of society and culture that were every bit as reliable as the laws of physics and chemistry are in their spheres? And what if there were someone who could actually teach those truths to us? What if there were a power that could actually change character? from the inside out, where mere human willpower and behavior modification have always failed? What if it was so real that we could actually overcome our addictions and resolve our partisan conflicts and start crafting solutions to the great struggles and problems of our age? And what if it just took recognizing him to have assurance that your life would go on beyond the grave? What if all it really took was recognizing him You're not going to save yourself. And so you confess your sins. And you reach out and you say, Abba, I can't do it on my own. I'll never be good enough. I know that. And you put your hands into the hands of this great deliverer. What if that's all it took to be assured? That your life goes on. Would you want to miss this? I mean, if this were, if this were true. Because Easter tells us it is true. Would you want to miss it? I don't. I won't by God's grace. I won't miss this. I want to go on an adventure. I want to keep walking with this risen Lord. Life is not finally about what, where, or why. Don't get stuck there. Don't get hung up with those questions. Life is ultimately about the who. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Who's going to give you the love, truth, power, and deliverance all of us need? And as you're pondering that question, may it be my great joy to proclaim to you this Easter morning with every bit much as much hope and care as this news was proclaimed to Mary. This is the good news. The ultimate who is looking for you. He's come here to find you. Please pray with me. Great God. Lord of life. Four things we ask. Fill us with your love. That never fails. Teach us your truth. That sets us free. Change us. By the power of your Holy Spirit. Deliver us. From the bonds of sin and death for that glorious life of the kingdom for which we were created. And let all who sincerely join me in this prayer say with one voice, Hallelujah. Amen.